the second I started acting, it was just love at first sight, um, and I've, I've never really stopped. I hope that significant change is coming, but we'll have to wait and see. One of the things that I love the most about being an actor, about being a voice artist, about being a podcaster, about writing, is that it's constant motion. Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera. And my name is Anna Rob. Adam Unz is here with us to talk about all things creative inspiration and creative minds. Adam Unz is an actor, voice artist, and podcaster based in New York City. On his weekly podcast, The Spark Parade, he geeks out with artists and entertainers about the single cultural work that's most inspired them. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Adam, it's really nice to get to know you a little bit more. So tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got into the arts, why you started the podcast. I have been an actor since I was about eight. Um, I grew up in uh, the Twin Cities in Minnesota, um, and there's a pretty big theater scene in Minneapolis. So I uh, was in a lot of plays when I was little. And then I moved to London and lived there for a long time and was acting and doing voiceover stuff. And now I've been in New York for a long time. And um, the podcast came about because I was uh, really just looking for a way to keep myself going with something creative while uh, I had down periods with acting and kind of wanted that thing to be completely in my control with acting. It's a lot of kind of asking permission to do uh, the thing that makes you happy. And um, with podcasting, it's all me. So nobody can tell me I, I can't do it. <laughs> That's super cool. That's a fun story. But then a lot of your podcasts ended up being, or most of it, or you, you, you dig it a lot into film, which I find very interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of film. There's a lot of music. Yeah, it's uh, really just, you know, uh, I talk to my guests about things that inspire them. Everybody chooses one cultural work. So that can be anything from film to TV to music. Um, and, you know, I've talked to people about paintings, about books, but a lot of people choose films and, and music. And what do you think that is, that, that, that they choose films and music as their sources of inspiration? I mean, now that you've interviewed a lot, a lot of people. I think definitely music is uh, pretty ubiquitous. It's around us all the time. Um, you know, it's something that almost everyone grew up listening to some kind of music. Um, so a lot of people have memories from their childhood about music they've listened to, or there's some kind of connection to members of their family or to friends. And then, I don't know, there's something about movies that people really connect to them. And a lot of people have these kind of formative experiences with movies. Um, some people, it's like they saw the city that they live in for the first time on screen and have always wanted to move wherever they were going to move to. I spoke to somebody who is wanted to talk about Black Panther, and he's a Black man himself and was saying that seeing Black Panther on the screen, seeing a Black superhero was really emotional for him because, you know, he he wishes that he would have had that when he was a kid and he feels so happy for all of the kids who are going to see themselves reflected in, in such a huge pop culture moment. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's different, different reasons for everybody. And what got you into the creative industries in general? Because you've been in a lot of the little branches of the industry, I guess. Yeah, my 
grandmother directed a lot of plays. Um, she was involved in the arts. She actually, <laughs> uh, my mother has uh, four siblings, and when they were little, she, my grandma, made them be in a family band called the Cohen Family Singers, and they all hated it except for my aunt, who actually became an actor. But she was very much, you know, loved uh, big productions and and loved to perform. Um, so I think I I kind of got it at first from her, but then the second I started acting, it was just love at first sight, um, and I've I've never really stopped. That's great. And what's your what's your most sort of what's the kind of shows or your favorite show that you've worked on? I, I know you ask a lot of people about their creative inspirations, but for you, has there been a particular show or film or music that has attracted you? Uh, in, in terms of the stuff that I've done or uh, and anything Either. that's inspired me? Both, I guess, uh, yeah. I, I should preface this by saying there's a, a beautiful irony in the fact that I ask people for my podcast to choose their favorite things and i am very bad at answering favorite questions it stresses <laughs> me out um i'm a voracious consumer of art and culture and i have so many things that i love and i start to just go oh my god what if i choose the wrong thing or whatever <laughs> um but uh an artist who means a lot to me um is prince and his music um is something that i listened to a lot when i was growing up obviously he's from minnesota as well and everybody of my generation has some kind of story about, you know, an encounter with Prince or knowing somebody who ran into him or hearing some rumor about him or something. So he was always this kind of presence in my life when I was growing up. And yeah, I just, I really love his music. I saw him perform probably more than anyone else. And uh, yeah, he's, he's had a really big impact on me. Mm. Do you think that the, uh, has, how has um, the people that you've kind of met or you as the industry and what you've experienced in your work shifted throughout the pandemic over the last sort of 18 months? Has, has things changed, do you think? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think a lot of people have had to improvise, have had to try to figure out ways to find creative outlets that they could do at home in some very limited public capacity. So, yeah, I, I think... I think Across the board, the artistic landscape has shifted. Even now, when things are starting to open up a little bit again, um, I think there are a lot of people who are still feeling quite cautious about like going to the theater or, um, you know, in New York in a week, um, they're going to be introducing a, a blanket mask mandate or a vaccine mandate for every kind of cultural institution. So I think that will maybe alleviate some of people's fears but um yeah every, every artist that i've spoken to over the the course of the pandemic is is kind of in the same boat where it's people just kind of having to try and um find any way that they can to keep doing creative things uh when obviously there's been quite a few difficulties for for people in all, all industries over the, the last year and a half do you find that the actual source of inspiration has changed I think I am constantly inspired by new things. I love um, being turned on to new music, new movies. Um, I, you know, really seek out new things. So I'm constantly being inspired by new artists and um, new artworks. But I think o over the course of the last year and a half, the way that I've become inspired by things has you know, been quite limited. It's really 
through the internet or watching TV, doing things in my home. So it's been kind of an interesting experience to not be able to just stumble across things in the world in a way that feels a bit more natural. It's it's a lot more of I, I don't know. I, I I feel like I don't really stumble things across uh, uh, stumble across things on the internet. I have to. I I'm the kind of person who seeks things out. So it uh, feels like I'm doing more research rather than um, finding things out in the wild. <laughs> what do you think is like the you know Anna and I started this podcast uh, over a year ago now, and I think that what we've learned by speaking to all the people that we have is just far exceeded our expectations of of our understanding of the industry and people what are you, what are the lessons that you've taken from your podcast i think uh understanding that everybody has stories to tell everybody has uh memories and experiences that really excite them and you can learn so much about people through those stories. And especially you can, you can learn a lot about the artistic process through those stories. When I talk to people on my show, I, uh, it, there's a lot of different uh, veins to each interview. It's, uh, it can be biographical. It's about um, kind of learning how that particular artwork has affected that person and the story that they have about it in their own life. It's about the historical context in which that artwork was made. It's about the story of the person who made that work. So yeah, just like exploring all of those um, different avenues, I think has been uh, really, really exciting to me um, across the course of, of working on this project. And do you think that that's fed you as an actor? Yeah, I think I am the kind of actor who everything is is very immediate. I'm not the kind I'm not, you know, a method actor. I don't need to have like experienced some kind of facsimile of the um whatever I'm I'm pretending to do on stage. Uh everything feels kind of uh visceral to me. But I think hearing about other people's experiences, hearing about how they have created their work, the kinds of work that has affected them, yeah, it kind of shifts my perception of what it means to be an actor and how theater uh, affects people in, in different ways. Do you think there is a difference in your personal creative process before and after the podcast, let's say? You started in 2019, right? So two years after. It's also been a pandemic in the same time, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of affected things too. I feel like one of the big things that has changed is that I feel more capable of creating things on my own. My whole life, I'd been told over and over again, if the work's not coming to you, you have to create work. Why don't you write a play or write a screenplay or, you know, improvise or whatever? And I would always just be like, no, that's not what I want to do. I'm an actor. I don't do those things. And I shouldn't have to learn new skills to do what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think kind of opening myself up a little bit to uh, creating my own work, working on my own projects. Um, and I, I think having that control has been quite liberating uh, for me that I, I don't need to ask anybody else uh, for any input on, you know, I, 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 do, <laughs> I do get input from people when I want it, but um, nobody else has a say in those decisions unless I want them to. So that's, that's been really interesting for me. Going to your, in terms of your acting career, you know, we have a lot of people from who listen 
from a global perspective to our, our podcast. So I kind of want to just you to set the scene of how you as an actor obtain work, seek work, uh, land work in your part of the world and um and is that a easy or difficult process for you? Has it been? Has it been a lucky ride? Has it been a, knocking on a lot of no, knocking on a lot of doors to get auditions? Or how's the way that you've traditionally obtained work? Nine times out of ten, over the course of my entire life, I've gotten work through an agent, and that's how I, I do it now. Uh, for the most part, I um, have never had much luck getting work off my own back. Um, so I've always found it pretty essential to, to have somebody advocating for me and actually doing the work. I always feel a bit overwhelmed and helpless when I try to think of like, where could I even look for auditions for myself? Um, I, I should probably be more proactive about that because I'm sure I'd be working more if I did a bit more of that. Um, but I love my agent and, and he's done, uh, done uh, really well for me. So yeah, I think that's the, the primary way. And do you think you could compare the London scene to the New York scene and how that is different for an actor? Yeah. So in the UK, acting is treated a lot more like a trade. The you know education system is different. People, if they know that they're going to be a plumber, um, they can go to a trade school. They don't necessarily go on to university. Some people do. With acting, it's a similar thing that people will finish the equivalent of high school and many people will go straight into acting training. Again, some people go to university and then go to acting training, but the the training itself is not necessarily standardized, but there are the things that you learn are much more uniform than um, they, they would be in acting schools in the United States, I think. And uh, to my mind, it's a lot more rigorous and focused on classical training techniques. So uh, British actors, by and large, have this really strong foundation in this um, acting training that is, you know, centuries and centuries in the making. Um, so there's that. And then also the theater world feels a lot smaller. It feels a lot more intimate because it's a smaller country. Um, and with acting across the board, voiceover casting, um, film and TV stuff. It's all a much, much smaller, uh, more kind of insular world than it is here where it's like, you know, d different markets across the country. So there's that side of it. I do feel like there's probably more opportunity in New York. There's a lot more going on. There's maybe more money to be made if you you know get a big project here i think you're going to get paid more than you would in the uk and then i would also just say the unions in in the us are much stronger and much more effective in the uk there is a union that covers all forms of acting and i never found it to be that worthwhile it was just paying dues and not really feeling like i was getting much back from it Sorry, UK equity, I, I don't mean to be. Uh, I'm very happy that there's, there is a union there for people. Um, but I have found the unions in the States to be uh, uh, much stronger in terms of fighting for actors' um, uh, safety and pay and the conditions on the job, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so that's a long-winded way of comparing the, uh, the two. <laughs> Did you do voiceover work over there as well, or is your voiceover work mainly been here in the States? Tons more in, in the UK. I think 
the agents that I had always kind of had one person from France, one person who spoke Arabic, and then me as the American voice. So um, it was like I, I was a, a specialty item, and I got a lot, <laughs> a lot more work that way. Um, and here, it's like, nope, <laughs> everybody sounds like me. So um, I, I'm not exotic at all. But uh, yeah, it was I was I was much busier in the UK. Also. The system, again, another comparison in the US, you audition for everything. A lot of voiceovers, especially now during the pandemic, you record auditions at home. And the expectation is that, you know, you have a perfect environment in which to record. You have recording equipment, all of that stuff. It's a, you know, a big, um, it's very detrimental if you don't have that stuff. And in the UK, you have a reel and almost everything is cast off of that reel. So um, you you only really audition if it's a, a very big job that has like, you know, international implications. Um, but for everything inside of the UK, I always just got a call when I had a job and I didn't have to audition, which was amazing. Yeah, a lot of people who have done voiceover work that we've kind of touched base on or spoke to in our podcast have ended up doing voiceover for video games. Have you dabbled in that? A little bit in the UK, not um, so much in the US. It's something that I would like to get into more, but um, my impression is that it's quite a tight-knit community. And um, especially in the UK, this was the case that it's like you have to really break into that world. And once you're in, you'll get a lot of work, but it takes a lot of pushing to kind of get your foot in the door. And uh, recently you started also writing, right? And you have a few articles... Uh, with us and uh, some other things. What's that transition from acting and then to podcasting to writing? Kind of sounds natural. Yeah, I've always thought that I was a, a pretty good writer, but it has felt I was always the 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 kid who dragged my feet in terms of doing my homework. I would you know set my alarm for five a.m. the day that the homework was due and just get it done at the very last second. Like always procrastinating. Not um, even the night before a little bit or the that. morning of. <laughs> nope, nope. Just really saying like, oh, it's fine. I'm sure I'll get it done. And then waking up the next morning super stressed out and like, oh my god. I think that's another thing in the last year is kind of pushing past that and saying I want to just experiment with trying new things and um it's been really uh really gratifying do you have a bulk of ideas that you're gonna explore through that medium now or like some inspiration that's driving it <laughs> the, the biggest inspiration right now is uh getting prompts from you guys and saying hey you haven't uh, written anything for us in a little while do you have any ideas um and then i kind of put on my thinking cap. So uh, that that's a big part of it. But also just kind of thinking of themes that come up with the podcast and the, the stuff that I've been doing with it and kind of reflecting on all of that and thinking about the place of art in the world and, and how it's affected people, especially in, in the last year and a half. So yeah, those are the kinds of things that I think I want to continue to explore. And I think the other thing that's interesting that's sort of come up is a lot of... Um sort of cultural issues, especially being hot topics for America, being equity and diversity and, you know, being paid appropriately for the roles that you're doing and, and all of that sort of thing. Do you think there'll be an effort at systemic change coming out of this pandemic industry-wide? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I really hope so. I think I don't know that a lot has been done so far. I think there's been a lot of attention paid to issues of equity and diversity and health and safety issues in the workplace, all of those kinds of things, protecting people from predatory uh, behavior from, you know, movie moguls, whatever, um, sexual harassment on the job, all of those kinds of things. And there's a little movement from the industry towards addressing those things. But I think the proof is really long-term. Um, and right now, when people are really paying attention to those issues and the spotlight is on those issues and there's a lot of pressure for people to make changes, I think it's very easy to say that you're going to do something and you know make uh, token gestures that imply that real change is coming and then to back off of that when perhaps people have, uh, the, the public at large has moved on to uh, another cause that they're more interested in that feels more immediate. So I think it's our job as artists to, to continue to apply pressure to the industry, to people in power who make decisions about who gets cast, who is going to direct, who's going to write, how the workplace is structured, all of those kinds of things, just making sure that everybody feels comfortable and that everybody has a fair shot um, at, at being a part of this industry on all levels, not just entry-level positions. And um, yeah, I hope that significant change is coming, but we'll have to wait and see. There was something on the internet I saw maybe last week, this week, about Broadway, uh, a Broadway commitment to equity and diversity. There were like producers and actors and venue owners, everyone signing up for that, but can't remember top of my mind right now. What was it? No, I I, I don't know uh, specifically about that latest thing. I know that there were a, a lot of people, you know, actors of color, black actors, expressing how terrible it has been for them working in an industry where casual racism is so rampant. And hearing all of these stories about the day-to-day -day experiences of people who just have people come up and make comments to them that are, you know, horribly offensive and they feel so isolated because that person may be the only Black person in the entire cast or the only Black person on the crew and just making sure that people understand that that kind of behavior is not tolerated and trying to educate people about why those things would be offensive, um, all of that kind of stuff. But again, I'm, I'm not sure what this agreement is that the uh, Broadway powers that be have just tried to introduce, but I would say it's very easy to pay lip service to those kinds of things and to say, here we go, we have made a declaration saying that racism is bad, and then say, you know, we're done. Like, we uh we we don't need to do anything else to actually implement change we're just going to say officially we acknowledge that these things are bad so um yeah i think that that is a good first step but it feels like a a tiny first step that there needs to be follow through and it's going to be a process of months if not years to prove that um they're going to put their money where their mouths are
Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's there's two big things that come after that statement is what's the roadmap to fix it, right? And also something that is a cult that is endemic in the culture is, you know, addressing those either biases or, you know, those cultural habits that people have within the the art structures and who gets the job and why they get the job is is is, is no small task to unravel, right? Like that's a huge thing to to start to unpack and deal with and I think also the my concern is in the other sort of way of you know about people getting paid properly for the jobs in that they do something that I've learned over a lot of our discussions is that things like interns or unpaid internships or um, production assistant jobs things things like that are, are largely out of reach for a lot of people because the, the the salary is so poor so they need a certain amount of their own wealth to be able to survive to go to New York City and be an intern or a production assistant and some people don't have those personal means to put themselves in that situation which is a problem and then you've got the the, the producer side of it which I also understand is that you're trying to get shows back on from a post-pandemic world and you're not going to get the audiences so your budgets are going to be smaller and your purse strings are going to be tighter and 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 that's a challenge too because you're trying to fix these systemic issues by (laughs) while trying to remount shows where things that make money so it's a challenging environment for sure right now yeah definitely and I guess my you know response to that would still be trying to uh for producers to try and imagine ways that they can produce shows without having the the human cost be the first thing that is cut you know compromised. yeah and exactly compromised and improvising with the production values for example saying we have to get creative and we want this to still look spectacular and be something that people are going to pay for but what if we find cheaper suppliers for whatever things we need or whatever. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking, I, I don't know anything about producing theater, obviously. So this is just me talking about things that I don't know. But to me, again, I think addressing those issues, saying that this stuff is difficult, but that there has to be a way to find solutions that allow for a more equitable, equitable system. And just kind of, it feels like a lot of people shrug their shoulders and say, I mean, what do you expect? We can't, both of those things can't exist in the same way. So if you want theater to be around, then, you know, we just have to have rich kids getting internships. So yeah, it does. It feels depressing to me that uh, I am trying not to be a pessimist, but it does feel like the inevitable result much of the time is that people just go, eh, there's nothing we can do. So, I, I mean, I hope that is is going to change. I just found it. It's a, a new deal for Broadway. Equity, diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging for the theatrical industry. Black Theatre United's new deal for Broadway developed in consultation with the Center for Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at NYU School of Law. And it comes with commitments for theater owners, producers, unions, creatives, and procedural commitments. So there's that. But I was going to ask, just just because I found it, I, I wanted to share it. But I was going to ask, what has been or has there been anything that you learned through this year talking about social issues and the industry that you never thought about 
or never saw before? Or has there been something that really impacted you throughout this last 18 months? I think, you know, it it all relates to the stuff we've been talking about. I don't know if it was that I had never really thought of it before, but I think really pushing myself to understand the reality of situations like that, like thinking that I go on a stage, I go on set, and I'm a white man, and I don't have any of those immediate prejudices coming at me the the second that I uh, arrive at work. And just having that kind of experience uh, highlighted to me, it's all stuff that I, you know, microaggressions, racist microaggressions are things that I was aware of. It's not like I didn't know that that existed, but dealing or trying, uh, becoming more aware of the reality of, again, what a black performer goes through in a, an environment that is predominantly white and just having people be thoughtless and careless and creating an environment that's entirely hostile and having to try and, you know, when it's such an uphill battle to get work in this industry, to finally have a job and then have to work in conditions that are totally intolerable to you is must be very, very upsetting. So I think kind of uh, recognizing the minute-to-minute um, reality of that and also being very aware of the enormous privilege that I have in not having to to deal with those things on a day-to-day basis when I'm working. I think that comes back to um, the awareness of everybody on set or on the theatrical stage, whether you be a white male or, you know, a, a BIPOC person or, you know, or otherwise, right? If there's that awareness that there was been there has been inequity in treatment and everybody knows that that's got to change it's on everybody within the company to start to 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 act on that so um it's about setting the tone i guess you know and that that comes from the top and it also comes from the bottom of of people being allowing those people to have space because also one of the things that i experience here in asia is just because people are at the table doesn't mean they're also um, given the opportunity to contribute or um, participate, right? There are certain cultures that that are loud and confident and, 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 and participate in meetings, and then there are other cultures that pr- prefer to sit back and, and uh, they won't participate unless they're asked to or they're more shy or they're less confident to do that. So, it's not about just being them, them being in the room and being selected. They also have to be um, given the space to to participate as well. So I find that quite fascinating because a lot of the times you I've been in meetings here in Asia where you're waiting for you know some of the quieter members of the team to participate and they don't. So you have to open that door and bring them in and say, okay, tell me your opinion. How you what's your thoughts? That sort of thing. So it, there's lots of layers within that, not just letting them in the door. It's about how they participate as well. Yeah. And I like I, I don't mean to sound too uh, Pollyanna about it, but I think the ideal is having a work environment that is not just inclusive, but kind. And you want employers to be empathetic. You want employers to really want the best for their employees um, or their colleagues. and uh, you know, thinking about the stuff that happened with Scott Rudin, where it's this environment that the person at the top 
is to be feared and everybody is constantly worrying about what they're going to do wrong because they know that something is going to happen that they are going to be blamed for or some terrible thing is going to happen to them and you know trying to create an opposite atmosphere to that where everybody feels welcome everybody feels like their ideas are valued and that's not to say that people don't mess up at work and you know do things that deserve uh, reprimand or to be fired or whatever but thinking about those things as like if you are doing your job well and you are provided an atmosphere that allows you to thrive you have a much better chance of succeeding you know when that there is that that uh, culture of empathy when people are trying to just be nice to each other and um i think that goes a long way too and a much better chance of making a better creative product when people are being uh <laughs> at the end of the day right when people are in an environment that where they're thriving then you're going to have better art at the end of the at the end of the day Right. What do you say is your favorite thing about your job? Getting to meet new people. I, th I think in every creative endeavor that I've, I've ever been a part of, one of the things that I love the most about being an actor, about being a voice artist, about being a podcaster, about writing is that it's constant motion and there's always new people. There's always new experiences and I am never bored with any of it, which I think is a, a really great a uh, great thing to have um, as a, a part of your career. And you might have answered this already, but we'll ask the question anyway. If there's something that you could change about the industry or your job, what would it be? I think it does go back to that idea of uh, kindness and just looking out for each other, trying to create an atmosphere where people can just have fun. Like, I, you know, I don't think any job is going to be brilliant 100% of the time but everything about creating art i i think the ideal conditions for creating art is uh an environment where people are happy <laughs> and really want to be there and are excited to be to to do their job so i think shifting more towards creating art in a joyful environment instead of a stressful one. And I feel like there's a lot of stress in every situation, in casting, in production, in every element of, of creating art. Um, and I know people are, feel that stress when there's deadlines and when they want to make the best product that they possibly can. But just taking a moment to kind of center themselves and say, at the heart of this. We should all be enjoying ourselves and be excited to do what we're doing. So the Spark Parade, where can people listen to it? What's up with that? And is there anywhere else that people can look at what you're doing or contact you? Yes. So thesparkparade.com is a good uh, starting point. You can uh, stream and download episodes there. I am at Spark Parade on all social media, so you can find me there as well. Adam, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. It's been truly enjoyable, uh, despite the uh, storm that may be going on outside your, your <laughs> home today. We really appreciate yes. you spending some time with us. Yes, thank you so much. This was really fun. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There's a link in our podcast description where you can send us your podcast requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcasts for free. And if you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast description. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. 
You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Zare for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast. Thanks for listening.